Welcome back, listeners. This is Impacting the Classroom, the podcast that finds out the policies, research, and challenges facing the early childhood system. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. Here we are in October, which is Head Start Awareness Month. To celebrate, we're taking a closer look at Head Start, the federal government's program to support student readiness and child development, particularly for children who may have risk factors and unique experiences that create challenges to their development and learning. So, What's impacting the classroom? With me today are Krista Wesley, a Head Start educator at Chi Haw Head Start in Alabama. Hello, Krista. Hello there. <laughs> and Marcia Flores, the vice president of Chicanos por la Casa in Arizona, Texas, and New Mexico. I think the, oh, welcome, Marcia. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so happy you guys um, were able to join us. Um, I would first like to start with, can you tell us a little bit about your work, right? So whether in Chiha or in Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, tell us a little bit about what you all do. I'll start. I work for a Head Start program. We serve Head Start and Early Head Start, which is birth to six, children six weeks to five, and pregnant women. And I think that most certainly the early education component of that is really important for all the reasons that you named. But I think a lot of times Head Start program that becomes the focus and people don't realize that all of the same things that we do for our children, we do for our families. So we have a lot of support for our families. We offer goal setting and educational opportunities, career opportunities. So I just, you know, that's always a real important piece to me that I bring in the children and the families. Thank you so much. Ms. Marcia? Yes, for our program here in, in Arizona, one of our, our biggest population that we serve is, is a unique population. It's our migrant and seasonal families in, in Arizona, and we provide services to them throughout the state of Arizona due to our, our crops throughout the state. It allows us to provide those services to to our migrant families that move within the state and without the state, it, it, outside of the state as well. And, and as Krista men, mentioned, we provide that holistic service to not only to our children, but to, to our families as well. Thank you so much. So I don't want to assume your journey <laughs> to Head Start. What brought you to Head Start? What was the draw to Head Start programs? Like what brought you in? Honestly, for me, I was young. I, I started working for Head Start two weeks before my 19th birthday. And the center director at one of the centers knew my family and she recruited me. I had no desire to work with, in, with Head Start. I didn't even really know what it was, but it was just being honest at the time of job. And when you get there, and you learn about it and you learn everything it does. You know, so many people have the outlook that it is just daycare or it's just, you know, babysitting children. But when you get there and you learn how comprehensive it is and all the critical areas that it addresses for the children and families, it didn't take me long to know that this is where I belonged and this is where I would be. And like I said, I've been there September the 2nd, was 29 years. So I tell everybody Head Start is either you love it or you hate it. 
There's no in between. And if you love it, you stay forever. And somebody asked me the other day, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, still right here. I have, this is the home that I've built. This is the community, this is the family. So that's how I ended up with Head Start. I wonder if that was a beautiful story. <laughs> a lot of passion in that statement. Thank you. Well, my my journey began very similar to, to Krista's. I, I wanted to serve my, my community. I wanted to have an impact in people's lives. I wanted to help them. And so when also a friend recommended me to Head Start and, and kind of also said, hey, they're, they're hiring in, in Head Start. I'm like, what is Head Start? Like, I can't believe I've never heard of this. And, and once, once I was in, it's like Krista said, you're either you love it and it's for you and you're a lifer, I want to say, in one way or another, because I've been here for 16 years. I just fell in love with it. And, and people that have also come across Head Start and, you know, have moved away from Head Start, they still are collaborating with us. So that says a, a huge testament about our program. Absolutely. Ms. Krista, you mentioned um, critical areas for children and families. For those who are not familiar with Head Start, because that's what this is about, right? Opening some doors and providing some information for people who may not understand just the value of this program. What are some of those areas? First, I would have to say the health aspect of it, because so many of our families take children to the doctor when they're sick. They don't understand the importance of preventative care and the dental, like really that is big um, in our culture of families. That's just not one of the things that, you know, seems to be important until we teach them, you know, how the dental, I mean, the dental infections and stuff like that, how it affects other areas. So I would definitely say the health aspect is very critical the nutritional aspect is very critical because we do nutrition classes and do the heights and weights and the children that are obese are recommended to, you know, weight management programs. And we work with the families on diets and, you know, smart snacks and stuff like that. So there's so many components that's critical because, you know, everything works as a system. Thank you. So health and nutritional. Marcia, are there any critical areas that you would add to that list? Yes, I, I would add as well early intervention, you know, early detection. During our application process, our intake process, we we ask our parents about health history and any concerns that they may have um, within the family with their child. And and in many cases, you know, some of our families express their concerns. And as we are able to get to know the child and assess the child through tools and resources that we have, we're able to connect and refer our families to to additional services for for the children. Both of you have been at this for a while, (laughs) right? And really invested. What is the most impactful story that you have in your work? Do you really want to hear this? I do. I want to hear all of it. So my very first Head Start class, 29 years ago, I had the cutest little girl in there, little four-year-old pigtails. 
you know, lost track of her over the years. But come to find out later, her mother had passed when she was in high school and her and her two sisters raised themselves in a house in the country by themselves. They didn't want to be split up. So they did it with very little of anything. And about 12 years ago, she walked into the center at Talladega to be a pregnant woman. So we reunited. I'm really shortening this story. We reunited and I begged her to become a sub because as we were talking, I realized that she was just real complacent in her life and she's a very smart girl. So she is very, she was very complacent, did nothing all day. And so it was hard to get her to be a sub. But the first day she subbed, at the end of the day, she said, can I sub every day? And I said, yes. And so we got her CDA. She's now been employed with us as one of our best early Head Start teachers for 10 years. And my daughter graduated in May from high school. And now she's the receptionist at that center. And, and Wangelica is mentoring my daughter through the college process. So that's probably one of the biggest success stories. And we're getting her geared to be a center director. Oh, that is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you didn't have to short it. Um, we have all the time, <laughs> right? But that was a beautiful story. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and she with- still looks just like that four-year-old little girl. She just don't wear pigtails. She still wears pigtails? Oh, okay. <laughs> still got pigtails? pigtails. <laughs> Marcia, what about you? What's your, what's been your most impactful story in your time there? Oh, gosh. Well, an impactful story that someone shared in the community. Uh, we were out, you know, in a community event and a one of our mothers approached me and you know we we do we do our day to day responsibilities because we love it right and we don't realize the impact that we're going to make in in someone's life and so it just started something very simple as you know can we accommodate a bus route can we accommodate a bus route can we typically our process is for the parent or the caregiver to drop off their child in the bus route And they were asking for an accommodation that if we can go to the door and pick up the child. And I said, well, let's talk through it. What, you know, what, why? Oh, well, mom right now is sick. And and she was just requesting that accommodation. And then, of course, you know, we were able to accommodate that for, for the time being. And, you know, a couple of years later, fast forward, the the mom uh, recognized me and, uh, and approached me. And she said, you know, that simple act. Uh, picking up my child from the doorstep without question, you know, not questioning it too much um, and making that accommodation. And, and that's, and something simple was a lot for her because she was going through chemotherapy during that time. And she was, she wasn't able to, you know, get up from bed, let alone drop off, you know, her child. And she said, you don't even know how much that helped me those days for that energy to save up and just go through my day and and be there for my children in other ways you know and and I just thought that was so touching cuz you know we don't we do these things because we enjoy what we do you know and not thinking of this greater impact this greater role that it has in someone else's life 
and and she was just so grateful and, and thankfully you know she she's in recovery but she was she was very thankful and and for me that was impactful because you know it's something simple that we take for granted but but this mom said it was everything to her for those for that you know for the time that she was in treatment we don't usually cry right like <laughs> those are some very touching stories but it just it, it shows how real and how important your role is in the communities right that we're serving and there's lots of moving pieces to that right lots of different roles different people with different responsibilities anybody want to elaborate on some what some of those are like so what does a head start program look like what are the different types of people that exist to make this work? when i think about a head start program i see probably what other people see in an emergency response team i see a i think about a group of people that's ready and willing to do whatever, however long it takes. If you get off at four, but you have to stay till eight because, you know, a mom that works a job couldn't get off or couldn't get transportation. You know, you stay there, you do whatever, you support. So whenever I hear the word Head Start, whether it's our program or any program in the nation, that's the automatic thought is that's a a group of people that's just sitting on ready to do whatever for the children and the families. So that's my thoughts of Head Start, just the emergency response team. That was a good analogy. Marcia? You know, it is, it's a, it's a community. It's, it's a community with individuals that share a common value, a common goal, you know, and that is helping our families. And so it, it very much is a loving community, but has to have that shared value and commitment for our kiddos, you know, for what we do, because each day is different. Uh, Mm -hmm. Each family has their different dynamics and their different situation. And in some cases, they bring the history or in some cases trauma. And so we have to support, you know, our community. And it, it does definitely take that village, but with a shared value and commitment in what, in what we do. Yes. And your experience, right? We have these individuals that are really committed to this work. And it's, and I mean, any Head Start that I've gone to, the people are invested, right? <laughs> they are mission-driven. Their focus is on the best outcomes for the families and the children that they serve. Tell us a little bit more about your experiences, your your personal journeys through Head Start, right? Because you didn't start out as a, a VP, right? <laughs> like, um, So tell us more about your experiences um, with Head Start. I started off as a family engagement coordinator, so th- that's why I speak a lot about um, our families and, and our community. And so I started off as, as a community coordinator and bringing our families together and ensuring that they have a place, you know, it, it may it be their center, may it be our program, where we can come together and bring our experiences and share our experience to, to become the advocates for our families. And so my my journey was through the family avenue. And as I began, again, to fall more and more in love with with our program, I I wanted to be more connected. Not that I was then, but it's a different type of connection that you have as a coordinator when I decided to transition or move towards a center service manager to provide more direct services to, to our families and community. And that gave me a way different perspective as well 
because it was more focused in in a broader sense that so many moving pieces need to come together to provide service to our to our children and our families it, it is i cold heart believe that it is a holistic approach and it does take a different different type of people with different type of skill sets to bring that that service to fruition so then what happened next in your journey well, well, next in my journey, I then became a regional operations manager. What that means is I was the lead in our Yuma County area for our centers located in Yuma County. So we have over, well, I believe, over six centers in our area. And I was able to provide support for our center service managers at their centers. And as years you know, passed, then this other opportunity come, came in, you know, as, as another transition or another chapter in my Head Start journey for um, vice president of early childhood. And, I, and I've been in this role, uh, still in a transition phase. So in a couple of months, I'm still getting the swing of things. Uh, but that's pretty much it's been I've worn a lot of different hats that have allowed me to move in a different direction in, in my Head Start career. Thank you so much for sharing that with um, the listeners. Krista, you're up. So like I said, I started two weeks before my 19th birthday. So I started as a teacher assistant. And I think that was a great start for me because it gave me the opportunity to see everything from another level. From there, I went to a teacher, then to a center director. When the early Head Start grants came out, my Head Start director got me to help her write the grant. I was scared to death. I'd never done anything like that, but I did it. We got it. And I became the early Head Start director. So once we really combined our zero to five program, because we kind of kept our early program just a little sheltered over here until we got it perfected. And when we combined, then I was education disabilities manager for everybody. And just currently, actually, Monday, October the 17th, I was promoted to deputy director. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so, my 29 years, I've done a lot. I like to tell everybody I know a little bit about a lot of things because I've been here a long time, but I don't know everything. Every day is a learning experience, very rewarding. And I think every piece to every one of those jobs helped build me and get me to where I am. And I can appreciate the staff out there, you know, that's actually doing that work now because I know, I know 100% sure. I've always said to be a good leader, to be a good supervisor, you need to have worn those shoes. Mm -hmm. So I can sit here and say, when people just come up with stuff, I can say, you know, no, no, that's not going to work. Or no, don't call them between the hours of eight and nine. That's their busiest time. It's not an emergency. Like, because I know, I know what's going on out there. So I feel like I can better support them and understand them. And I think that's very, very important. Absolutely. Relatability, right? Um, right. <laughs> there's, it creates this connection and a lot of times there's this disconnect, especially when people don't feel like you have walked in their shoes, right? Which right. is what this podcast is about. How do we get, you know, people who 
wore the shoes and have been out of them for a while or have never worn the shoes to really understand what it takes to do what you, what, what, what you guys do on a, a daily basis. So it's National Head Start Awareness Month, right? What do you wish people knew about Head Start? I wish that they really understood what Head Start is because myself, you know, with little advertisement, our Head Start's just really not out there unless it's in the news. And sometimes that's not always a positive thing, depending on who it's coming from. So I just really wish that people really understood who we are, what we are, and what our mission is. Because, you know, it's just like anything else, politics or whatever, people base their decision, pass judgment on what they think or what somebody told them. Instead of learning, learning for themselves, I just wish they would come, go to a Head Start Center, visit, ask questions, volunteer, support the staff there, be appreciative, just learn and understand what we're doing out here and why. And why it's so important, not just to us, but how it's going to be important to every single person one day. We are growing future leaders. I mean, these are the people, these little bitty people are the ones that's going to run our country, take care of us, provide care, everything. So I just wish that they would just get out there and get an understanding about us and what we do. That was powerful. Marcia, what would be on your wish list? Gosh, uh, very similar to, to Krista is getting familiar with our program and and not just think of Head Start of a, she said it earlier, of a daycare, you know, that it's much more than that. It We have qualified, highly qualified staff to provide these type of services for, for our children, you know, from our bus drivers to our teachers to our, you know, family engagement workers. Everyone has a type of certification to be in our classrooms to provide those type of services and that it's not just only education that we provide but but again you know it is it is a holistic approach we provide health services nutrition mental um excuse me disabilities and mental health and also it's just it's about learning more about our program with that and also collaborating with our program we depend so much in collaboration with our community partners, with our parents. And, and, and again, that's, it begins with us in a way educating our, some of our community partners of who we are and what we do to start those collaborations. But th- those are key. Those are key as well. Wonderful. There were lots of things that were said in both of your statements, right? Um, what is the Head Start mission for those who do not know what that is? The Head Start mission is to provide comprehensive services to low-income families and children to give them the same opportunities as children of higher economic statuses so that they have the same opportunities, the same quality of early education, the same quality of materials and facilities to learn and grow in. So providing that even footing, right? Yes. Equal success. Um, and to provide those, that whole comprehensive program to the family. Like Marcia said many times, there's so many components, mental health, 
that's not just for our children. We have parents that we refer and provide therapy for mental health services, for postpartum depression, anxiety, whatever the disorder may be, special needs, disabilities. Like there's, we have a DLL, which is a dual language learner specialist, and she recruits and services our Hispanic population. And she has really grown that component to around 10% of our funded enrollment, which is big in our area. So we're real proud of that. So, I mean, there's just so many areas and it's just fully comprehensive for the whole family. Yes, you mentioned some of those family components, but those are definitely not exhaustive. What are some of your more successful family components that families really enjoy engaging in? We also have in our PFCE, which is Parent, Family, and Community Engagement, we have a 24-7 dad specialist that works just with our dads on, you know, promoting and providing opportunities for them to attend trainings, functions with their children that is focused just on the fatherhood initiative. So that's probably one of our real successful, like I mentioned, the DLL, the dual language learner, that has been very successful. They do a lot. We have so many programs. I'm thinking today they're (laughs) at the Homeless Coalition. Yesterday they were at some expo. I mean, every day we have really major stuff, success stories going on. I would have to say out of 200 employees right now, just with a guess, I would have to say 35% of that are former parents that may have came to us as a parent with no credential, but now has a credential, whether it's a CDA short certificate, some with BS degrees that were paid for with a teach scholarship. So We have lots of success stories. Yeah, that really speaks to the type of ingrained, just like the depth of the community and the commitment to this this work, right? Like I, I was with you as a child. That experience was so motivating, so powerful, so impactful that it stayed with me. And now I've circled back because I want to be a part of that and create that magic for another group of individuals, right? Yeah, I'm moved. You know, I mean, I I know Head Start (laughs) did a little bit of work, but yeah, I'm definitely moved as well. We spoke some about collaborating. What opportunities are there? How do we promote collaborations, right, that will support Head Start programs and caregivers? What are your suggestions? Gosh, there's so many, but for us, it's just being involved, being involved in in our community and, and not saying no to those community meetings, you know, those uh, committee meetings, because again, social networking for us is key. And so just being involved and taking advantage of every opportunity that is out there in our community, you know, and if you're not able to make it to to one of those invitations is sending a representative because networking, networking, networking is key for us. Thank you. We do that as well. We try to really make sure that we're really involved in all of our county's chamber of commerce. We try to, you know, arch at the Children's Policy Council, the quality assurance programs the DHR offers. And a lot of times, if we have time, every now and then we'll have a little bit of downtime that we let our family advocates go help other agencies. Like they'll help Meals on Wheels deliver 
So we just kind of develop those friendships and relationships and, you know, get out there with them because actually some of their clients are the same as ours. And, you know, our family advocates will help distribute food at the food pantries. And when we have pre-service or in-service and we all come together, we do food drives and have the food pantries come and pick it up. We always make it real competitive, like however many cans you bring, you get a ticket and the one with the most tickets, you know, gets a surprise. So, I mean, there's just a lot of ways that we build relationships and collaborate in the communities, the colleges, junior colleges, we go to all their functions, you know, they're a big asset in helping us recruit teachers and collaboration is key. (laughs) So, we talked about a lot of initiatives, right? And we've talked very globally and very generally about Head Start, but each community is different and has different needs, right? So CPLC, you're serving more of a migrant community. Um, So how do those initiatives differ? What are the different needs that that community might need? The difference or one of the differences can be is that they'll transition to another program to either, again, within the state or, or outside of the state. And so again, we're bringing back these collaborations with other Head Start programs, other Head Start from Migrant. And so when, when our families transition out or need to transition out is to, we try as much as we can to prepare the families and having as much information that they can have like readily available. So when they go to another program, you know, they have that information or as well that they're able to connect us to the new program and we're able to share their information. But there's so many because again, with with our migrant and seasonal families is that they're, you know, they might stay here for a week. They might stay here for two weeks and, and then they would need to, to leave. And so it's just, having that information readily available for them or for a program that would call in in their behalf. Thank you so much. So we talked about how we can support Head Start programs and caregivers. How, How can we, like, how do we advocate serving the communities that Head Start serves? I think that a lot of that would come from, if you're not familiar with the community assessment, that we do once a year. So it's specific to every community and their needs, where their weaknesses are and where their strengths. And it's public, it's it's open to the public. It's usually on each individual program website. So I think that using that for what it's designed for to build programs around the needs of the community because the community that I live in, which is one of our more central our children, our staff, our parents, there's a lot of crime, a lot of gun violence, where we have two or three centers in our more rural areas that have none of that. So the needs in our area, as far as mental health, parenting, parent education, that kind of stuff, that's going to be different than what it's going to be at the counties, you know, a little east of us, because they don't have that. They're very rural, a lot of farmland, So designing their program and their educational needs would be different. So I think that people in the community, advocates, supporters, I think by them looking at community assessments, looking at drug rates, crime rates, strengths and weaknesses, I think that's a good start with 
deciding how to support each individual program. Thank you. Marcia, did you want to add anything? No, I mean, I think I think uh, Krista said it well. Each each of our community is very different. You know, as you mentioned, as you know, we serve migrant and seasonal and we serve also our early Head Start program. And they're, they are different. They're similar, but they have their differences because of their location. And even within our migrant programs, you know, we we have one in, in, we have centers in Yuma County, we have centers in Cochise County, and those counties are, you know, have different needs and different resources. So knowing the community, but knowing the resources that each community has is also uh, very helpful. Because then again, it goes back to the collaboration and bringing in, if a community lacks a resource, okay, how can I collaborate with someone near there and bring them to our community to, to support that need? In the spirit of collaborating, right? What is one question that you would ask amongst the two, like the two of you, right? You have different communities, but you're on the same path. What would you ask each other? So what question would you ask Marcia, Krista? And I probably would be, I would want to know just everything about the migrant and seasonal because I've never worked with that. I've never worked. Our program has always been, you know, center, center based. I've never worked with that. Of course, reading performance standards and attending trainings, you always hear it, but I've never seen it. So I would be real interested in the day-to-day operation, you know, just different stuff, um, the eligibility criteria. There's so much stuff that I would be interested in. I just want to see what it really looks like. What would your response be, Marcia? Oh, wow. Well, with the eligibility criteria, again, for our migrant uh, population, it it would have to be 51% of their income would have to come from a type of agricultural work. And, And then you know, our, we would serve also well our, our low low income families, but the type of work that they do for our migrant program, migrant and seasonal, is 51% would need to come from the definition of agriculture. And so that would be crucial for us. Did you have a follow-up question for her, Krista, before I... I'm just trying to picture it because <laughs> I attended a training about, I don't know, 10 years ago at a agency north of me that did work with seasonal and I always just kind of wondered like what the educational data looks like because for us we keep our babies most of them from six weeks to five so we kind of analyze and track and aggregate their data so I just wonder for a child that's just seasonal what that educational data looks like. And we do have a well we have a system that also is able to track that and so we are able to show if our children is in their second year, you know, with us. So if they're returning and again, because they might leave for a season, but they'll come back. And so that, that's also the beauty of it, that we don't lose out on that information, that we have a, a system that is able to track our children, even if they were to leave for a year or two. Again, it allows us to, hey, this this child exists in your system and we're able to, to track. And just in case if we if we're not able to, <laughs> we we can do that 
other ways manually. It just takes a minute. It takes a little longer, but we're able to to do that as well. And 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 I always like that question because it asks it during our intake. You know, are you a returning student? Is this a returning family? And we select yes. Or again, it has an ID. Uh, we we assign identification numbers for our families and children. And so again, if we don't select that check mark, the system will populate or say, hey, this child, this family already exists um, somewhere. And we would we were were able to find them as as well. Thank you so much. So Marcia, what do you have for Krista? You know, my my question would would be is about the communities that there's that that she serves. What does that look like? What are the needs? You know, what are the ages? Because I, I know that, you know, we serve, you know, from six weeks or pregnant mothers to five years old, or again, EHS three is just what does the community look like? But also what is the the majority of the age group that your program serves? Well, we serve our funded enrollment is 750. So our early Head Start program, the pregnant women to six weeks, they make up 256 of those slots. So the majority of our children are Head Start age three to five. We have 15 sites in six different counties. So we're kind of big, but kind of small at the same time, if that makes sense, if you're familiar with the Head Start. So most of our centers are in very rural areas. We have four that are in the Talladega Calhoun area, which is a little bit bigger, maybe a Birmingham junior type thing. So there's a little more violence, a little more drug use, lots more unemployment. I don't know why, because there's more job opportunities. I think some of our families just, you know, they just have to get motivated. And that's what we're doing, trying to encourage them, help them get there are more rural counties. We don't really see a lot of anything other than just the poverty level being kind of low, and it can be lack of um, career opportunities and having to drive so far just to get to, you know, an employment opportunity that pays decent money. So that's what our communities look like right now. Did you have a follow-up, Marcia? Yes, I actually, I did. I know many of our programs have been experiencing this. Has your program experienced uh, low enrollment because of those factors? We have, but I think right now our numbers low are very, very minimum. We had a lot of returning children, which that helped a lot. Our family service staff did mass recruitment in all of our counties. So I think right now we are six short in the Head Start program and three in early. So just say around about 10, which is a very good number for a funded enrollment of 750. Yeah, definitely. But I think one thing that helped us is when COVID came and bared its ugly head, um, March 20, we shut down, you know, because we had to, and we stayed shut down until August but we reopened in August of 20. So when a lot of programs didn't and stayed virtual through the 2021 year, we didn't. We have remained open the entire time. And I think that has really benefited us in, you know, like keeping our enrollment and keeping our returning families. Because for the centers that didn't 
a lot of those families worked jobs that weren't closed down. So they had to seek other childcare. And once they got them there, they weren't just going to up and move them. And we said, hey, we're back. You know, they kind of kept them there. So I think that's been a big issue for a lot of people that are still seeing a lot of low enrollment. But fortunately, we are not. Not right now. That was both wonderful questions, thoughtful from both of you, and also some really great responses that we can really (laughs) understand more about your program. So I appreciate that. We are running out of time, (laughs) but there's one thing I'd like to do before we say goodbye. As a last pitch effort to really get us to understand the importance, right? Each of you, if you could tell me what does Head Start mean to you and why it's something that we should be running behind in a rally of support. What Head Start means to me, and we've talked uh, about this throughout, you know, this uh, session is for me, it's bridging a gap in education, in services, and bringing equity to our underserved communities and bringing an awareness to our underserved community. That's what Head Start means to me. Wonderful. I think, again, I can just say it really means everything to me because I grew up here. I grew up here. My kids grew up here. There's My son is 26, just gave me my first granddaughter last Thursday. But there's a closet in the back that was a computer station that he always called his office because after school, sometimes I would have to pick him up and bring him. My daughter, Chloe, she's working as a receptionist at Talladega. She is the receptionist because she just graduated high school and is in college, but she thinks she runs things because (laughs) this program has been our whole life and our whole family. So like I said earlier, what it means to me is that there is a group of people in this agency and in Head Start agencies nationwide ready to do whatever it takes to help these families achieve their goals, be successful. That's why you should run after us. That's why you should run really fast after us. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, listeners, and thank the both of you for joining me today. Thank you you for having me. (laughs) You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, teachstone.com slash impacting. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together.